Hello and welcome to the official podcast of the Irish Association of Speech and Language Therapists, the IISLT in conversation. Today we are discussing Expiratory Muscle Strength Trainer or EMST, a rehabilitative tool originating in respiratory physiology. My name is Breed Spillan and I'm joined here today by Sandra Brandon, Senior Speech and Language Therapist working in the Radiation and Oncology Unit in Galway University Hospital and PhD candidate at NUIG. One aspect of Sandra's research looks at the use of EMST within SLT management of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, COPD, in Ireland. Welcome, Sandra, and thank you so much for taking the time to be here this evening. Hi, Breeze. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I suppose to, to start with, can you just tell us maybe a little bit about yourself, your work as an SLT and your research history? Um, yeah, of course. So I graduated in 2007 from NUIG. Um, so I've been working really like over 15 years now. And most of that time I've spent working with adults with an acquired dysphagia. Um, so that's really kind of my area of interest. So I've worked in community settings and also worked in um, acute hospital settings. For So for the last, I suppose, maybe seven or eight years, I've been in an acute hospital setting. I was in Port Jimple Hospital, followed by now at the minute I'm in Galway University Hospital. So nice and diverse. About three years ago, I started, uh, I had the notion of starting a PhD, for better or worse. I'm in it now. Um, so I'm doing it on a part-time basis. It's a structured PhD um, in speech and language therapy through the University of Galway. So Dr. Ruth McMinimum and Dr. Stanislava Anchevek are my supervisors. Um, so I guess you kind of you mentioned that there in your intro, but my real area is looking at seeing can we find a better way of managing dysphagia in patients who present with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Um, so that really a lot of it originated for me working in Port Uncla Hospital, um, where we had a large cohort of patients presenting with that condition. And I suppose I, I found myself in the position that all we could really offer was a compensatory aspect. So Within that, I suppose, looking at the various different research, I came across EMST um, or expiratory muscle strength training. And from there, I suppose, my interest was spiked. So the PhD has grown and taken legs. Um, so our first phase of the PhD has really looked at exploring speech and language therapists' confidence levels and practices using expiratory muscle strength training. We were also looking at dysphagia practices with um, people with COPD and dysphagia as well. Um, and then our next phase is going to look at will the expiratory muscle strength training device, will that be um, something that can improve swallow function in people with COPD? I think it's an interesting area. I think it's it's used clinically um, without a huge amount of evidence at the moment. So any findings will will be helpful, even if it's a case that we find it's possibly not indicated or not indicated to that degree. So um, yeah, exciting times ahead, hopefully. Yeah, that's really interesting. And no mean feat doing that on top of your full-time job. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, so yeah, I work four days a week in, in Galway. Well, four to five, depending on the weeks. Um, but yeah, no, I've really supportive uh, manager there and supportive colleagues. So they're really pro-research, so that it all helps. Okay, very good. And I suppose, I mean, obviously I've heard of EMST and have sort of a very basic knowledge on it. So can you explain a little bit about the different devices that are available as well as the evidence and the theory behind it? 
Yeah. So expiratory muscle strength training, it's it's a, um, a category of respiratory muscle training devices. So if you look at the literature, you'll see um, reference to inspiratory. So I in inspiratory muscle strength training and expiratory muscle strength training. Um, and just I suppose a broad difference would be that inspiratory muscle strength training works on the inspiratory muscles of respiration. And that's really kind of used mostly by our uh, chest physio colleagues and used a lot in terms of uh, chest physio, sputum clearance, um, helping airway management and also helping people wean from mechanical ventilation. And I know there are some SLTs who are probably using that, but I suppose my knowledge and my um, practice really comes from with EMST. So that in particular, it's it's working on the expiratory muscles of the lungs. And I suppose you're kind of thinking, well, how does that really affect or improve swallow function? Mm-hmm. So it was really conceptualized by Dr. Christina Sapienza in the US. And she was she was working a lot of, with patients with dysphagia and working with respiratory um, physiologists and physiotherapists there. And she came, I suppose, the notion of whether it would improve cough. So that was the first area they looked at. Um, and they did find, you know, that expiratory muscle strength training had improvements with cough. And as you know yourself, cough is very important in terms of airway protection and as well as dealing with airway penetration or aspiration. So from there, then, um, as was while doing the study, they um, found that actually during expiratory muscle strength training, the submental muscles, those are the muscles that really promote that hyolaryngeal excursion um, when you swallow that airway protection. Um, and they found that those muscles were actually activated and there was an increased strength and activation in those muscles. So from there, I suppose the premise is, is that expiratory muscle strength training might be beneficial if you want to improve airway protection, either through improving cough or through improving submental uh, muscle movement. So that's kind of, I suppose, the, the main premise. And it really works on kind of principles of exercise physiology and neuroplasticity. So really where it's working on, it's working on the premise that in order to improve muscle strength, you need to increase the load on a muscle. So how they do that is there's there's two ways. So if you read in the literature, you'll see things like a resistive trainer and then a pressure threshold trainer. So the, the device we're most interested in is a pressure threshold trainer. The resistive trainer, just on a basic level, what it involves is that you're blowing through a device, but it has um, diameters of a um, reducing size. So you can imagine it's more difficult to blow, blow through a narrow straw than it is to blow through a wide straw. But what they found with that is that actually, yes, going through a resistance, but you're not, blow, I suppose, working through a load. So the evidence base is really based on progressive, um, sorry, pressure threshold devices. One of those you'll see a lot or hear about is the EMST 150. Uh, I know people can't see it at home, but I'll just show you here briefly. It's a handheld device. There's two different mouthpieces you can use with it. Um, it's like the duckbill mouthpiece, and then there's a round circular mouthpiece. Um, so I find a lot with with, um, with my patients, they prefer the duckbill. I think it's just it's easier to generate good lip seal around it. So you look here. So what you're seeing is like you've got the dials at the top. This particular device, this is the EMST 150, and the pressure device goes from zero to 150. So if you compare this, for example, like you're lifting weights in the gym, zero is like not lifting of anything of any weight. The lowest you can start here is 30 centimeters of water pressure. So for example, that might be, 
you know, if you were lifting a weight in the gym, I'm just going to say maybe you're starting at two kgs. The idea is that you start at 30 centimeters and then you progressively work up. So you're trying to increase the weight that the muscle muscles have to work against. And how do they work against it? Well, what they need to do is they need to open a spring. It's a spring loaded valve. So in order to open the spring loaded valve, you have to blow out with enough pressure to open the valve. So right. I'll set it nice and low here because I don't want to um, <laughs> want to uh, show you correctly. So yeah. what you do is you need to ensure that you have, you put it behind your teeth, ensure you have good seal around your lips. A lot of times what they do say to use is use these nose clips. Can you see them here? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd often see them maybe if people were doing like, you know, respiratory tests or you might see it in operation transformation when they're really getting people to work hard. Yeah. So you put the, the nose on here. And so what you're going to do is put the, put your, between your, behind your teeth, your lips go around it and you're doing a good blowout. So if you just listen to the whirring sound, you might, the, the bike mightn't be able to pick it up. So you take a deep breath in and you're asking the patient to do a short, sharp blow. So it's deep breath. And you can hear like that. It's like a whirring sound. Okay, I don't know if that was picked up, but yeah. So you're doing a whirring sound and what you want is that the person is, is generating that. Um, so there's EMST 150 breach and then there's also the EMST 75. So the EMST 75 was brought in as a response to clinics or clinicians feedback that really for some patients, the EMST 150 was too hard. They didn't have enough lung strength in order to be able to engage with it. So they reduced it. So the EMST 75 works actually between five and 75 centimeters of water pressure. So okay. you can imagine significantly lower. And what we find um, working in the hospital, just a clinical um, level is that we find patients who were sicker, you know, some of them were using maybe patients post-COVID. If they're compromised from a chest point of view, we often find that the EMST 75 might be a nicer place to start. So I think that's just something to bear in mind that there is two different levels that you can work on. Yeah. In terms of where you get devices, um, so sentient healthcare in Ireland, um, but they'll be able to best advise you in terms of like, I suppose, how much it is, um, you know, how best to stock it, whether, you know, what's covered a medical card, et cetera. So I think just going back, you were asking me maybe what patient groups you use it with. The evidence base is, is very good um, when we're looking at for people who have Parkinson's disease, when people with post-stroke, there's actually some emerging information uh, literature as well about patients who have mus motor neuron disease, okay. um, which is very interesting because I think we were taught in college that you don't do anything active or rehabilitative in nature. So actually what they found in, it's Emily Plowman, they found that by doing, setting the the pressure slightly lower and doing it for a longer period of time, it, it maintained a lot of, of lung strength. So that was interesting to find. So, yeah, so I guess you're talking about Parkinson's disease, stroke, motion neuron disease. Then you're talking about maybe patients with head and neck cancer. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's also patients that they look at maybe after this uh, spinal sur uh, surgery as well. So there's lots of different groups that that we have research, strong research on. And then there's groups that think that people are, are trialing this with clinically. Okay. What kind of um, cognitive load is involved for the person in using it and maybe like the intensity at which you advise using it? I think in terms of cognitive load, a lot of it can be done by demonstration, which mm -hmm. is good. So, you, you know, you can reduce the linguistic load that's required of the person. 
I guess the biggest thing for understanding is is the mechanism in terms of how the blow should be elicited. So it should be like, you know, where you place it, that it should be a short, sharp blow. Oftentimes I find with patients, they'll mistaken and they'll do a really long, continuous blow until they're out of breath. So it's about strength training rather than endurance training. So that's the okay. difference with that. Um, yeah, so I think a lot of it's by modeling, um, just in terms of, you know, often it's very good to do a demonstration there, get the patient or the person to copy what you're doing. Um, but also there's really good educational videos online. So if I can direct people to emst150.com, um, that has a huge a level of resources. So there's a site aspect of the site that's for people who are using dev device. And then there's an aspect for healthcare professionals. So they okay. offer a huge amount of lecture. Um, they also offer some free training sessions and then they also offer links to full, like paid. Um, so I think at the moment there's like an online training course, like a one day course offered by um, Dr. Sapienza. And I think there's different things that are offered from there. I've always found them very helpful in terms of approaching um, them. Yeah, so that's, I suppose, yeah, in terms of the cognitive load. Okay, yeah, very good. Um, and yeah, we can we can share maybe all of that information as well after any of the links. We had spoken about maybe the protocol for implementing EMST. The protocol I would follow is the EMST 150 protocol. Um, so again, it's outlined by that group Aspire based on Dr. Sapienza's work. And it it follows the principles of five. So you're talking about five repetitions, mm -hmm. five sets of five repetitions. Um, and then it's five days a week. So it's in, in total, it's 25 reps a day by five days a week and then for five weeks. Okay. So in terms of, I suppose, if you look at the literature, a lot of it is based on that protocol, but there are some variations in it. Um, so I'll talk a bit, little bit about that now. In terms of implementing the protocol, what you need to do is your first step, you need to be able to assess the MEP. And when they talk about the MEP or the MEP, it's the maximum expiratory pressure. You want to determine where that maximum is. And then generally the therapy load is set at 75% of that. And then I suppose you're wondering, how do I assess MEP or how do I get that? So the EMST 150 protocol is based on the idea that you can use this device itself. Uh, and the idea is that you start the lowest gauge. So it was, for example, this device in front of me is the EMST 150. You're starting at 30 and you're rotating it clockwise by a quarter turn. And each time you rotate it, you're getting the person to blow out a short, sharp blow um, until they get to the point where no air can come out comfortably. So you don't hear that whirring sound. Okay. That's maximum pressure. And then you reduce it. So you turn it anti-clockwise by a quarter turn to get to 75%. So that's, I suppose, the most, um, the least technical way of doing it. If you want to be more exact, I definitely would recommend using a, uh, manometer so a handheld manometer uh one as one we would use a lot would be called the micro rpn so that's actually where the person would blow out through this device and it will give you um a figure in terms of what is their maximum expiratory pressure and with that then you can more objectively calculate the 75 percent of that so right. in day-to-day -day practice that's what a, you know i found have found myself and a lot of clinicians report to me is that you know, I actually find it hard to sometimes determine where is that max point? Where is the point where it, they can no longer breathe out, but also can they 
breathe out comfortably. So that's one thing um, just to be mindful of, so particularly if you want to do some research in this area, um, I definitely recommend that. Um, and then it's a higher level from that then would be a respiratory physiologist who um, generally is based on a hospital site. And there's, you know, a lot of their job would be testing um, aspects of the lungs. And one of them would be inspiratory muscle strength and then expiratory muscles or maximum expiratory pressure as well. One other aspect of the EMSD protocol to bear in mind is the importance of educating the patient about the maintenance programme. The EMST 150 recommends that the patient um, should continue to exercise at the pressure threshold they complete the therapy program at. For example, if they get to a pressure threshold of 60 centimetres of water pressure, the continued practice of that of 25 reps per day for three days per week. So the idea is that the person maintains the goals they've achieved during the five weeks of therapy um, and it prevents a detraining effect. So lots of the literature out there in terms of from exercise physiology will tell us that um, if we stop exercising a muscle and um, the muscle um, will often lose the gains that they it has made during the exercise period. Um, so that's just one other point that's important for clinicians to bear in mind and to educate their patients about. That's your protocol, what you follow. Again, what I mentioned is depending on your population, you might change the, the targets. So if you're working uh, with people with motor neuron disease, you're talking about that the MEP might be 25 percent. Mm -hmm. With this bridge, what I would say is that it's really important to link in with your the physician. So if you work in a hospital, it'll be your primary consultant who's um, medical or surgical consultant who's uh, has overall care for the person. Um, if you're in the community, it might be person's GP. Generally, I, I suppose I've looked at this in general and in terms of like what is the protocol or definitive practice. And I, I can't see definitive guidelines there. But from speaking to them, you know, as part of my research, I found is that what's generally advised is that you present the physician with information regarding the precautions and contraindications. Um, a good way to describe to non-SLTs um, or non-physios about what is expiratory muscle strength training or, or what kind of pressure it puts on the system is that it's similar to the Valsava maneuver where you're, like your ears are blocked and you have to block your nose yeah. and hold your breath at the same time to try and clear your ears. And, and the idea is, is that you're trying to, I suppose, to create that link as in, is that person able to tolerate the level of intracranial pressure or the intra-abdominal pressure. So when you do a quick, sharp blow, what pressure puts? Again, referring back to, I keep referring back to this website, it's very useful, but the EMST 150 website does have a list of, um, a really nice list that you can just print out, again, with that information about the Valsava mover on it. Um, generally what I do is I, I would print that out and present it to the physician to review. And then within that, they have the be they're better placed um, or best place to make a judgment about whether that patient um, is suitable or not from that. Okay. So generally, I would um, get a link in with your physician just to ensure that there is no medical contraindications as to why that person mightn't go ahead with it. So one example might be a, a recent history of pneumothorax. Another one might be a recent surgery. For example, you don't want to blow the sutures by putting pressure, you know, could be mm -hmm. abdominal surgery. So they're the kind of things I was thinking of, of how maybe a lung transplant. Um, so, yeah, again, it's not our job as speech and language therapists, to, you know, to to know for definitively. We just need to present that information to the physician to make sure yeah. that it's 
contraindications. Okay, yeah, very good. And yeah, you, you sort of answered a question I was going to ask was about how community SLT might go about implementing. So um, yeah, that's really useful information. And then in relation to yeah. training, I suppose, for SLTs, what kind of training might be involved and, and how might SLTs avail of that training? Yeah, so there isn't any definitive training um, you know, like unlike maybe other treatment approaches you'd see where there's a definitive competencies you have to acquire, there, there isn't a particular structure. The training that is available is um, there are some formal training. So there's either face to face or virtual classes. Um, people who seem to lead it out would be Dr. Christina Sapienza, Michelle Trochet. There's also Brooke Richardson. Um, as well. So I think the SIG ran a, a study there day a few years back that was very successful just in the area of respiratory muscle strength training. I definitely would recommend that you would, you know, if you wanted to really introduce this into your practice and you don't have any support, I would be re recommending that you would go um, and engage in a formal level of training. From what I know, from what the training I attended, I attended a two-day training course. Like it was largely theoretically based, but there was a component on it that was really practical in terms of like how you carry out that assessment. So actually, how do you hold the device? What are you listening for? How do you get the map? How do you move mm -hmm. the all those practical fiddly things that you need to ask about? Yeah. They also did really nice presentations in terms of who might be indicated, who would not be indicated for um as well. So that's what I would recommend. I suppose at the next level, if that's not available to you um, and you're like, you know what, I want to get started on it. Um, certainly having a speech and language therapist who is comfortable or competent or feels competent in the area of using it to work with them, maybe shadow them, look at the, how they're using the device, getting used to listen to what's the whirring sound, getting used to also giving direction to the person using the device as well. They're all very helpful. Lots of online stuff is available as well, you know, through that EMST 150 um, or even there's some good YouTube tutorials about how to, to use that advice or device. OK, well, that's really interesting. And I definitely learned um, a lot more about EMST this evening. So thank you so much, Sandra, for joining us. No problem. Thanks so much for to you and ISLT for having me. Great. And we'll share um, any of those links um, from those websites that Sandra mentioned. You can listen to our other podcasts by following our social media channels on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook or by searching IASLT in conversation on Spotify.